Hey, I'm Daniel, and welcome to the Milwaukee Chi Alpha Podcast. What you're going to get from this podcast is biblical encouragement for college students in Milwaukee. And if you don't fit that description, this can still be a good listen for you. What you're about to listen to is our sermon series called Sent. We're studying the book of Acts, the ordinary people who had an extraordinary story. start by asking a simple but kind of blunt question. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> now the question is, why, why are you a part of the community of God? What has brought you to faith and to participate in his kingdom? And it's kind of a heavy question. It's also a really simple question. And I would hope that you have an answer. And you may be like, I don't know, someone brought me and I'm here and I'm kind of figuring it out. Or you may be like, I've given my life to this, right? And anywhere in between there, I just want to acknowledge this question is this important question of why essentially are you here? And I don't want to push anyone away. In fact, I hope you stay and immerse yourself all the more. But Tonight, as we engage this, this chapter in Acts chapter 5, it begs this question of what is compelling the people of God onward and what is attracting people to it. And it made me question this, like, what, what about us? Why are we here? And there's a lot of reasons. We love being together, right? We love community. We love doing life on life. We love making friends. But ultimately, there's got to be something bigger than just being with our friends. And this passage, passage, as I was wrestling, I've been wrestling with it all week, of trying to understand where does God want to take us, and I believe this is where he wants to take us, is prompting this question of what is making his movement, his church, his people move forward, and what is bringing people into it? Why are we a part of it? And so as we wrestle together with this passage, I want to keep that in mind. And I want to actually start with verse 13 and 14, but I want you to keep your Bible open tonight throughout the whole message. We're going to be in chapter 5, kind of all over the place, looking at the whole thing, Um, but verse 13 and 14 is our starting point tonight. It'll be on the screen, but also I would encourage you to have it on your phone or bring your Bible to Chi Alpha, XA Hour. This This is good. Have it, mark it up, be familiar with it, get it in you. So this is right in the middle of the chapter in between two scenes, and we're going to unpack those scenes, but I think these words are important as we're understanding why are we here. It says, verse 13, no one else dared join them, the apostles and with their movement, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. And this is kind of like a bizarre little phrase two sentences nobody would dare join and yet people are joining right it's like nobody dare join and yet it's growing and it brings us pause like what is going on in what in in god's community and and, and the interesting thing is this little these verses this interesting little tension is between two scenes in the chapter the first one is a scene of like internal pressure and the, and the second scene is external pressure. The first scene of like, 
there's a mess in the church, and it gets dealt with, and it's, it's big. And then the, the second seed is all about arrests and political pressures. And it makes you, as you read the whole chapter, which I would encourage you to do tonight, go and read it and, and, and ponder on it in response to our message tonight. But ask yourself, what is, why does this message, why does this gospel continue to advance? Because no one dared join them, and yet it's growing. Why? What is going on in this mystery of God's people? And like I said, there's, there's kind of these two pressures that are happening. One, internal pressure. The other one, external pressure. How many of you like to be pressured into something? <laughs> Raise your hands. You all like to be pressured. Okay, now I've pressured you into something. We don't like it, right? Nobody likes being pressured, and I hope you've not been pressured to come to Chi Alpha because um, we don't like being pressured to be part of something. But in the first scene, Acts one or five, chapter, Acts chapter five, verse one through eleven, we get this little scene of about two people named Ananias and Sapphira. You may know these names, you may not. But it's about what they do in response to actually another guy. Actually, at the end of chapter 4, there's a guy named Joseph, who everyone calls him Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. What a great name. Everyone calls him encourager, right? What a great name among the people. And he generously gives to the church so that the church can give to those in need. And it's this beautiful moment. But then we get Ananias and Sapphira, and what Luke is doing is giving us a positive and a negative. Because Ananias and Sapphira, in response, they see Barnabas do this awesome generosity thing. And so like, we can do that too. And so they go and sell some land and bring the money to the disciples only. They don't bring all of it. They bring a portion of it. They say it's all of it, but they held some back. And they lie. They cover it up. They want to look the part so that they can look like Barnabas while they still keep some for themselves. And the interesting thing is, Paul, Peter like, calls him out, and like, you're, you lied not only to humans, but to the Holy Spirit. And it's like, really, like, whoa, this is a big moment. But then, Ananias falls down dead in that moment. And three hours later, his wife comes, and, and Peter's like, so tell me, is this the price? And she's like, yes. It's like, no, you've lied, you've lied. That's not the price. And she also falls down dead. And it's like, what, what is going on? And if you take a step back for a second, I just want to give a couple like, thoughts on this as we're acknowledging what is keeping this movement forward because this strikes fear in the people, right? But if you take a step back, how, as bad as this looks, Ananias and Sapphira, I want to, I want to acknowledge the reality of they saw someone do something that was really good and they were, saw praise for it. And we could feel the, the pressure of wanting to be like them, right? And maybe you've not done something, but maybe you have, right? We do this all the time, where we try to put on a facade to make everyone else think we're, we look good. I mean, Instagram, social media is all about put on, make it look good, so you look really good. And that might not be a true picture of who you are, but it looks good, right? But clearly, God is not okay with that. And there's something about this scene that maybe troubles us, and maybe jars us, just like it jars the people that are struck with fear. Like, what is going on? Who is this God? What is he up to? But I want to say this really clearly. This is the start of the church. They're moving into something new. 
And, and it's almost like Luke is calling back, commentators made this comment, uh, the, Luke is calling back to an Old Testament scene. Joshua chapter 7, it's right after Jericho, if you know the story of Jericho, the people of God, Israel, is going into the promised land, and God miraculously, miraculously defeats the, uh, the, the Jer- city of Jericho. They march around the city, walls fall down. Cool moment, right? And they march into the new territory. But God told him, don't take any of the spoils. But so one person did, and he's found out. He's covered it up. He's found out. His, his name is Achan. And God brings about justice on this person because he's corrupted his people. And God is concerned about his people. He's concerned about what's going on inside of his community. Just like in the church, he is deeply concerned about what's happening on the inside. And I'm not just saying, like, there are, this is not a statement of you better have your life put together to be a Christian. That is not it at all. The gospel is built on the reality that we need him. We're a mess without him. And so we come to him. But the point is we come to him openly and say, this is, this is what I have. And we're honest about what's really going on inside of us. And we're liberated by the gospel to do that, to bring it to the God who actually sees it all. And we're set free to actually be honest and open. And what God is not okay with is he's not okay with facades and you pray pretending to be someone you're not, which is such good news to us. And he is not okay with people using the church and using his people to better themselves, make themselves look good. He is not okay with that. And this is a heavy word. As you're looking at this story, you have to see the reality. This is God's people. He's God. And this is his church. And he will not be mocked. He was going to do exactly what he set out to do. And he cares about what's happening in his people. And there is loads of grace, right? Grace unending. Mercy's new every morning. All of that is absolutely true. We have to deal with this passage. God is concerned about the corruption among us. And it should jar us a little bit and ask us, why? What am I presenting? What am I bringing out to the table? And remember that this is not my community. This is not your community. This is God's. We are a part of his community, and he has the right to be concerned about what's going on in his community. Because it bears his name. And he wants no deception No false selves here, which is really good news for us that we have the freedom to be real and bring our messes to him and let him be God. And one more disclaimer on this passage, because it's easy for us to look at this and and have a a bone to pick with God. Say, God, why did you do it this way? That doesn't seem good. Doesn't seem right. And we have reason to to say, like, this doesn't seem in line with what you do else. Why are you doing this here? And, I, and I'm not, we can ask questions. That's one of the best things we could do as community is ask questions of our Bible and ask questions of God and what he's up to. And I want to just give you a framework, though, as we ask questions of who God is, essentially we're asking about his moral character, right? If we're going to do that, we have to acknowledge the reality that our morality came from him in the first place. We're not imposing morality upon God and saying, okay, God, are you actually good? Because we don't really have that right because he's God and he gave us our sense of what is good. So all of our sense of morality has to come from him anyway. And this is the same God who says he is gentle and patient and kind. And if you read your Bible, it's all throughout the whole thing that he is this. He is faithful 
but he's also just and he's good. He makes things right. And we have to acknowledge the, the reality that God is God. And he sees something maybe that we don't see. And we make room for that reality, that he is God, I am not. He has a right to his community to do as he sees fit. And sometimes as Christians, we're irked by that. Like, ah, oh, I, don't, I don't want that to be my God, but yet he's God. I'm not. He is God. And I know this is a heavy, heavy word, but this is an important part of what it means to follow God, that we let him be who he says he is. We let him be our source, our sense of what is good and what is right. It all comes from him. And then we entrust the, the unknowns back to him and say, God, I don't, I don't understand, but I know you're good. And so I'm going to wrestle with you without understanding. And I'm going to ask my questions with the understanding that you are a God who knows what you're doing and what you're doing is holy and purifying and right. You're not evil. You're not corrupt. He is not okay with corruption. Does that make sense? The point I want to make is God is God. And even though as we see this, this pressures inwardly in this scene, we see the kind of the mess of the church and what is happening here, and God is concerned about it, he makes his point, he is God. And this is an important piece to knowing what's going on with his people and why is it continuing to move forward. But I want to go to the second scene. We're starting in verse 17 on to the end of the chapter. We get this interesting uh, narrative of the apostles getting arrested, they're imprisoned. And in fact, I actually have a slide um, of a list of a kind of broke down this passage. I'm going to read part of it. Um, yeah, we'll read 27 to 42, and then we'll kind of break it down a little bit. Um, so it says this, starting in verse 27, right before this, they've been jailed, and then they were miraculously set free, and now they're at the temple, and then uh, they've been brought in by the religious leaders again. So verse 27 starts, the apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said, yet you have filled, with your, filled Jerusalem with your teachings and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed, and hanging him on a cross, by, by hanging him on a cross. Verse 31, God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. Then he addressed the Sanhedrin, men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Thudius appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, and all his followers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, 
leave these men alone. Let them go, for if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering and disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Okay, so what's the point here? What's all this story about? Go to the next slide. <clears throat> I kind of broke this down verse by verse. Maybe, maybe you can read it or not. I don't know. Hopefully you can. Because um, there's a lot here. When you're dealing with narrative, it's kind of like, what is Luke getting at? What are some main ideas? And if you're reading scripture, this is something you can do too, is you can go back over it and kind of summarize. What happened here? What happened here? What happened here? And so I kind of did that. First, the first uh, like nine verses, we didn't read that. Um, but I summarized it. The religious leaders wanted this movement done with. They were jealous, so they arrested them. Then they, mirac- they, the disciples, were miraculously set free by the angel of the Lord, and they obey his command to go and teach. That's what happens, right? And then the leaders uncover the story and find them teaching in the temple courts through verse 21 to 26. Then what we started to read is a description of how they taught, right? It says they were teaching in this name, in his name, in Jesus' name. And they filled Jerusalem. I think those are really, like, important phrases, right? Interesting. In this name, in Jesus' name, they filled Jerusalem. And and the next few verses talk about the response, right? We must obey God rather than humans. This is essentially what the disciples land on. Peter says, that's it. That's that's why. We got to do this. We got to obey God. And their response, and we read that that, that, uh, Gamaliel's wisdom, right? Essentially, his point is, if it's from God, then you won't be able to stop it. If it's from God, you you can't stop it. You'll just end up fighting against God, and that's obviously not going to end well. And the result of all of this is these, these disciples are flogged, but they go home rejoicing, counting themselves worthy, or they were counted worthy of suffering for the name and they are emboldened all the more to continue to teach and obey God in every area of their life. You could do this. As you read scripture, you too can like, you could break it down. It'll help you, right? You can see some of these like phrases that seem to like, oh, okay, obey, teach. These seems to be popping up over and over again. And that's what the disciples clearly are convinced is what they must do. They must obey God and do what he said which is so interesting. Like, we know that. That's a truth we get. But sometimes if we just stop and recognize what they endure, and then that they consider it joyous, right? They're rejoicing in the reality that they have now endured, like God striking down two people. They've been arrested twice. They've been questioned. They've been jailed. They've been flogged. And they go home rejoicing. What is motivating them? What is behind it? What keeps them going? They're absolutely convinced. How can this be? What is behind this movement? Why are they here? 
which is ultimately why are we here? That's why I love going back to where I started, verse 13 and 14. These two verses. No one dared join them, Luke says. No one dared join them. Why? If you're an observer watching this movement happen, you're seeing, man, this is crazy. Like, even the thrill seekers aren't even joining this community because they're being, like, there's no facades here. Can't be found out in this community. Or you can't put on a show here. God is about open and honesty and wholeness, right? And those who are just along for the ride, trying to look the part, daredevils, thrill seekers, though this looks exciting and crazy, no one dared join them. They've been arrested. Political leaders want to kill them. No one dared join them. They felt the pressures around it. And yet, nevertheless, men and women continued to believe and were added. Notice that the language isn't they joined. The language is were added. And it reminds us back to chapter 2 where it says, and the Lord added to their number daily. There's something, here's the mystery behind it all. As people are experiencing, they're watching this movement happen, their eyes are being opened to something, and it's not just being a part of a community. But they're seeing the God of the universe. He is who he says he is. He's alive. They're seeing God as God. God is God. And I know that's a duh statement, right? And yet, I think we just don't realize, we don't actually live as if he is God of our lives. But do you see him as God? As your God? As Lord? If he's God, then he deserves all of our devotion and obedience. Regardless of the pressures inside and outside, they have been absolutely, utterly convinced that no one else is worthy to entrust their all their life. doesn't matter what happens to them. They are convinced this God is worth living for. He's God, and he deserves my obedience. But there's also other things in this passage, right? And I think this is on the slide. God is God, but he's also good. And... <laughs> Maybe, maybe it feels like a stretch. Like, okay, he's good. He just struck down two people. They're being arrested. There's death. There's jails. There's right, political pressures. How is this good? Oh, but it's throughout the whole thing. In the middle, we see the, mir- the miracles are happening everywhere. God is making things new and right again. That's really good. We see the, his community is about openness. No facades. Be, be yourself and come to him openly. He's, he's gonna, he wants to restore you, make you new. But he wants you to be you, not someone else. There's no facades in his community, and that's liberating. It's free. His gospel, it, it, that he loves us, sets us free to come in as we are. It's so good. His love enables us. His gospel enables us to do that. No facades needed. He's good, and he deserves our obedience for that reason. But also, God is going somewhere, and he won't be stopped. Gamaliel wisely, although he, 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 saw the, he saw this as a political movement, he was right in that if God's behind it, there's no stopping it. Because if something could stop God, then he's not God at all. But he's God, and he's going somewhere. He's going he's gonna to restore all the world 
Right? His, 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 he will accomplish his will. He will bring all of what he planned to fulfillment, and he will accomplish it. And his will is to save us and, and restore us, restore all of creation, but it's about him. And there's hope in this, right? There's nothing in our life, there's not a thing that won't overwhelm God, that anything that's overwhelming you right now, God is bigger than that, and he wants to overwhelm the things that overwhelm us because he's God. Nothing can stop God. He is bigger, and he will win the day. He already has won the day. We can see that through all of scripture. He's pointing to the reality. He is victorious. He will not be stopped. But there's also the humility of that, right? The humbling moment of recognizing God's going to do what he wants to do. It's not about me. It's not about you. He wants to save us and welcome us into his kingdom and we participate with him. It's not about me. I'm not the rudder of the ship. I don't get to direct where it goes. He's king. He's God. He's the leader. And we follow him because it's all about him. Something bigger is going on. The reason people keep at being added to this is they're seeing the reality. Their eyes are being opened to the reality that God is God. He is who he says he is. He's also good. He's far better than we could possibly imagine. And he's going somewhere and has purpose and vision. And it's exactly what we all need. And our response is to do what the disciples did. Obey. How could we obey anyone? He's God. We must obey God. He deserves our obedience. God is God and God is good. God is going somewhere and he won't be stopped. He deserves our obedience fully, utterly. Even when we don't feel like it, even when there's legitimate pressures, even there's good reasons to say, ah, I don't, I don't really, this is too big of a thing. I can't get past this. People really don't like me that I, I'm a Christian, so... The legitimate, that's legitimate pressure. And yet, we see only, this is not pressure to be a Christian. It's the reality of like, how could I not? He is who he says he is, and he's good. And he will not be stopped. And so we respond, just like the disciples do, with obedience, and to follow him, and then give him our life. And this is, this is a journey for all of us. This isn't just a, like a, okay, good, flip the switch, and I'm going to do what he says now, right? We all, Nathan even shared about obeying God, right? He started to, to spend time with him, and it became like, it changed him and how he wanted to obey him. He wanted to grow in obedience to him because he saw this God. He's good. He's doing something. This is a journey for us. But let's not make the mistake that this is somehow about us. That's the point I want us to make. This is about him. And as we go forward, as we go where we're going, like, let's ask the question of why am I here? Why am I a part of this? Because some of us want to get something out of it. For me. And you know what? I'm glad you're here. And you will. That is, that will happen for us. We will be made new here. Keep coming. This is not a push, push you away because you get here for the wrong reasons. Please don't hear that. But I want to help you see that his, his church, his purpose, all of it, centers on the reality that it's him. He's God. He's good. 
He's going somewhere. And let's join him in what he's doing and not make it about us. So here's how I want us to end tonight with some discussion and wrestle with some of the things that I said. I know this was a heavier word as we learn to obey the God of the universe because it's not about me. I have a few questions. Um, and, and again, just like in the first scene, don't succumb to the pressure of trying to look better than you are. Be real and honest, wherever you are in the journey. If you're like, I don't like this, be honest about that. This is a place where you can do that. And have honest discussion with those around you about where you are and how you feel about the questions we're going to ask. So you can put those up on the screen. And the first one is simply, do you, do you acknowledge that God truly is God of all, worthy of all obedience? It's a straightforward point, and it probably jars some of us. Let's have a conversation about that. First, the second one, I said verse two. <laughs> Question two, do you believe that God cannot be stopped? Or is there something else out there like that? Right? Wrestle with that. I think that's an important question. And then lastly, what does obedience to God look like in daily life? Not just in the one moment, but in the daily. So these are questions. So would you uh, grab two or three people around you, groups of four maybe at most, and, and wrestle together through these questions in all honesty. Cool. Let me pray quick and we'll do that. Jesus, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that you are God and we can entrust our life to you as God, and that's enough. But thank you that you are also incredibly, immeasurably good. We can know that through your son, Jesus, who loved us so much that you would die for us. And also, Lord, we know that you are going somewhere. You're not sitting here doing nothing. You are on, on the move, and we want to join you in that, because this is about you and your redemptive plan, not mine. Help us, Lord, to submit to you and obey you in that because you deserve it. In your name we pray. Thanks for listening. Follow us on Instagram at MilwaukeeXA to keep up to date on our events and services. Or stop by Bolton Hall Wednesday nights at 8 p.m. in room B40.